the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network presents Vatican Insider with Joan Lewis. Each week, Joan brings you news from inside the Vatican and the church around the world, as well as interviews and answers to your questions. Now, here's the host of Vatican Insider, Joan Lewis. Welcome to Vatican Insider on this first weekend of July, a holiday weekend in the U.S. Where on earth did June go? I'll get to the usual news summary in a moment, but want to tell you about my guest in the interview segment, Jesuit Father Mark Lewis, rector of Rome's celebrated Jesuit-run Gregorian University. The last time we spoke for Vatican Insider, he was the vice-rector for academics at the university, and this is known in Rome simply as the Greg. By the way, same last name, but we are not related. A native of Miami, Florida, Father was ordained on June 8, 1991. He has degrees in philosophy and theology and a doctorate in history and a long Rome-based assignments. Now to some of those news highlights. Sunday, June 25th. At the Angelus, Pope Francis counseled the faithful to dedicate the right attention and care to what really counts in life and not to what stifles or overwhelms. Despite the cost, sacrifice, or fear involved, Jesus invites us to stay faithful to what counts, and he will take care of the rest. In his remarks, Francis was encouraging the faithful to go against the tide and to not hesitate to reject common thinking. The Holy Father also expressed his sorrow over the riot in a Honduran women's prison last week, and he prayed for reconciliation and fraternal coexistence. Monday, June 26th, the Council of Cardinals, the Cardinal Advisors to the Pope, began a two-day meeting in the presence of Pope Francis. Tuesday, June 27th, at the end of their two-day meeting with the Pope, the Council of Cardinals issued a communique, noting that during the session, with the collaboration of Cardinal Gianfranco Ghirlanda, not a council member, the first steps were taken in a reflection on how to implement the spirit, principles, and criteria of the Apostolic Constitution Predicate Evangelium in diocesan curious. The cardinals also spoke of synodality, with a reference to the ongoing synod, and an update on the steps taken for the synod was given by Cardinal Mario Grech. Cardinal O'Malley reported on the recent plenary session of the Commission for the Protection of Minors in May and the work of the Commission to update regulations and practices throughout the Church to ensure that child protection mechanisms are effective in every diocese. The ongoing conflict in Ukraine was also the subject of the Cardinal's reflection. Also Tuesday, Cardinal Matteo Maria Zuppi, Archbishop of Bologna and President of the Italian Episcopal Conference, accompanied by an official of the Secretariat of State, arrived in Moscow as Pope Francis's envoy. The primary purpose of the initiative is to encourage gestures of humanity that may contribute to promoting a solution to the tragic current situation and to find ways to reach a just peace. Wednesday, June 28th. Pope Francis returned to his catechesis series on apostolic zeal in his final general audience before a summer break during July. It was also the first audience since his June 7th surgery. He focused on the life and example of Australia's St. Mary MacKillop, who founded the Sisters of St. Joseph of the Sacred Heart. 
Born near Melbourne to Scottish immigrants in Australia, Mary felt called from a young age to serve God in a special way, to spread the good news and invite others to encounter the living Christ, said the Pope. She especially was drawn to found several schools to spread the gospel through Catholic education. One essential characteristic of her zeal for the gospel, said Francis, was her desire to care for the poor and marginalized. This pushed her to go where others refused or were unable to go, in particular the Aborigine peoples. Also Wednesday, Pope Francis received members of the International Commission for Dialogue between the Catholic Church and the Disciples of Christ. Christian unity, he noted, is achieved by walking and praying together and with works of charity. The Holy Spirit is, quote, memory and guide who opens new and unforeseen trails where we thought the way was closed or cut off. Thursday, June 29th, the solemnity of Saints Peter and Paul, apostles and patron saints of Rome. This is a heartfelt celebration in both the Vatican and Rome. The main event is always the Papal Mass in St. Peter's Basilica, when Metropolitan Archbishops, named by the Pope since the previous June 29th, receive the symbols of their authority and their link to the See of Peter, the palliums blessed by the Pope. For years, the palliums worn by Metropolitan Archbishops were placed on the shoulders of the Archbishops by the Pope on this very feast day. However, the public ceremony of investiture of the pallium on Metropolitan Archbishops since 2015 takes place in their home dioceses, with the nuncio presiding. After Mass in St. Peter's Basilica Thursday, in the presence of 5,000 faithful, the new archbishops, cardinals, bishops, and priests, Pope Francis recited the Angelus. Friday, June 30th. In addition to a number of private audiences, the Holy Father received members of the delegation of the Ecumenical Patriarchate that traditionally comes to Rome for the June 29th Solemnity of Saints Peter and Paul. He also received priests from the Pontifical Ecclesiastical Academy, the academy that trains Vatican diplomats. Also Friday, Pope Francis sent a message to the Second International Meeting, Science for Peace, organized by the Diocese of Teramo Atri, in collaboration with the Pontifical Academy of Social Sciences, and he said that the search for truth in charity is the foundation for the construction of a peaceful society. By the way, this past week saw the sixth visit to Ukraine by Papal Almoner and Papal Envoy Cardinal Konrad Krajewski to provide aid and solace to the war-torn country and its affected population. As of Saturday, July 1st, in keeping with Pope Francis's custom during the summer, all of his audiences, including the general audiences and those with particular groups, will be temporarily suspended throughout the month of July. Those are the news highlights, but stay here for part one of my interview with Father Mark Lewis, rector of Rome's Pontifical Gregorian University. Welcome to the Q&A, and today we talk about basilicas, major and minor. Basilica is from the Greek basilike oikia, meaning royal house, where the princely ruler lived. In Roman times, this term applied to all official buildings built in a particular style. This term was used for early or medieval Christian churches built in a certain style. A nave, two or four aisles, one or more semicircular vaulted apses, and open timber roofs. 
There are two kinds of basilicas, major and minor. Rome has seven major basilicas. St. Peter's, St. John Lateran, St. Mary Major, St. Paul's Outside the Walls, St. Lawrence Outside the Walls, Holy Cross in Jerusalem, and St. Sebastian. Basilicas usually have special privileges reserved to them, such as the granting of certain indulgences. The first five of these major basilicas are also known as papal basilicas. St. John Lateran, St. Peter's, St. Mary Major, St. Paul's Outside the Walls, and St. Lawrence Outside the Walls. Once called patriarchal basilicas, they are now called papal basilicas, after Pope Benedict XVI did away with one of the papal titles, Patriarch of the West. The word major does not refer to size, but rather to the Church's historical importance. There are, as I just said, seven major basilicas, and they are found only in Rome. Each possesses a papal throne and an altar at which only the Pope or someone to whom he has given permission may say Mass. Minor basilicas, designated so by the Pope, are numerous throughout the world and are churches of historical and architectural value that have particular importance for the liturgical and pastoral life of some particular place. Minor basilicas are specifically tasked with celebrating the feast of the liturgical year with great care and attention. When Boniface VIII instituted Holy Years, pilgrims had the obligation to visit St. Peter's and St. Paul's outside the walls. In 1350, Pope Clement VI added St. John Lateran. This is the Pope's cathedral church as Bishop of Rome. During the 1390 Jubilee year, St. Mary Major became the fourth basilica that the faithful had to visit on pilgrimage to Rome. Three more were added to the itinerary for the 1575 Holy Year, St. Lawrence, St. Sebastian, and Holy Cross in Jerusalem, thus bringing to seven, a number considered sacred, the number of churches that pilgrims had to visit to obtain an indulgence. This is Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. I know for a fact that we have brothers and sisters who are not Catholic, who are not even believers in Jesus, who listen to Catholic radio because they're looking for something that's going to edify their souls. They're searching for truth, and they're not finding it in sports radio or political talk radio. They're finding it with Catholic radio. The world needs EWTN Catholic radio now more than ever. EWTN's Religious Catalog has great summer reading for kids. In The Unsolvable Problem and The Light in You, Mother Claire is on a mission to introduce religious life to Catholic kids who may have never even seen a sister and to do so with humor, verb, and imaginative storytelling. For more, visit EWTNRC.com today. We need to pray for priests that they have courage and strength to be faithful. Pray for bishops who have whole dioceses under them. And they're responsible for everyone. Religious who teach, we should pray for them. Cardinals, our Holy Father, our families, our neighbors, everybody who has a hard time living the truth or preaching the truth. We all need that extra strength of prayer. Welcome back to Vatican Insider. Here's Joan Lewis. 
Well, I want to welcome my listeners back to Vatican Insider. And my special guest um, this weekend in the interview segment is someone you've heard before, and that's Jesuit Father Mark Lewis. He's the rector of Rome's celebrated Jesuit-run Gregorian University. And the last time we spoke, he was vice-rector for academics. And the university, by the way, is known in Rome simply as the Greg. And by the way, Father and I share the last name, but we are, are not related. So, Father Mark, welcome back. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Good to see you. And I guess I can say happy anniversary, because you were appointed rector a year ago. It was June 14th, but you actually kind of took over September on September 1st. 1st. Right. A little background. Uh, Father was born in Miami, Miami, Florida, entered the Jesuits in 1980, and ordained on June 8th. 1991, so kind of another recent anniversary. Degrees in philosophy, theology, and a doctorate in history. And your Rome experience started in 1996 when you worked at the Historical Institute of the Society of Jesus with the Jesuits. And then you were director from 98 to 2004. Back in the U.S. for a few years, you were then provincial superior of the New Orleans province of the Society of Jesus. Returned to the Greg in uh, January 2017, as I said, vice rector for academics, and here we are today, rector. So a long and well-traveled road yes. brings you to the office that we're sitting in right now. And you are, by the way, um, the second American-born Correct. rector of the Greg. But, Father, there's a huge international component here. There is. So there, there are about 150 countries represented in the student body and close to the same with the faculty, especially the Jesuit community. Oh, that is amazing. I don't think I knew that that many, but now tell me about the process of choosing a rector. I mean, you were named by the Holy Father, so it gets in his hands, but... So it's, it's a very consultative process. It begins with a polling of the faculty, of the stable faculty, um, the tenured faculty, and uh, from that emerges a list of maybe... 20, 30 names. Those names then go to the Council of Deans, who then select 10 names, and then it goes, or select from the top 10 names or more they can add to them, and then five are sent to the Father General, who then picks uh, three for the Holy Father. A Terna. A Terna, that's right. <laughs> Which is it's, always, it's almost always three names for, to give them a chance to, to choose. Oh, sure. Well, wonderful. So you are in good hands. And I think the wonderful thing, just knowing that you have the backing, when you come into this job, you have the backing of uh, everybody here in this consultative process. So Correct. Um, now, for my listeners who I write about the Greg, and we've talked in the past, but for those who either don't know or may have forgotten, just let's look for a second at the history um, of the university Briefly, that, and then the courses that you offer, the degrees offered, uh, and etc. So the ori- origins of the Gregorian University are in the Roman College, which was founded by St. Ignatius in the 1550s. Some say 1551, some say 1553. Our building says 1553, so I guess we'll go with that. So this is an anniversary year, 23, of, <laughs> I mean, ending in three, anyway. Right. So it was founded by St. Ignatius, who really saw the education at the time to prepare not just um, seminarians for the priesthood in, in a way that would come in line with eventually with, with the Council of Trent, 
but also to, to introduce a good liberal arts education to people who weren't going to be priests, but, but a sort of educated elite laity, many of whom were nobles, but not all. And then from there, uh, we progress into where we are today, the, the Gregorian University, which still has a, a philosophy, liberal arts core for the, the seminarians, theology, social sciences, canon law, church history and, and the cultural heritage of the church, um, psychology, social sciences, and the Institute of Anthropology and Spirituality. Oh, that's right. We'll, so, we'll so be those talking about that um, in a minute. Well, actually, I'm an alumna because when I was asked to work at the Vatican many years ago mm-hmm. in the Vatican Information Service, we were going to be transmitting news stories every day in English and Spanish. And... Um, I had to read, I had taught French for many years, so I had that, and a smattering of Spanish. But my Spanish had to be improved for re, uh, reading documents from in Spanish, mm-hmm. from the Holy Father or whatever. So um, I signed up at the, at the Greg to take some Spanish, and I, they didn't have any first-year openings, only second year. So I had to pretend like I already had the, the ground floor stuff, go. but um, worked out well and certainly helped me in my work. Now, for the degrees, is the licentiate, because that's a term associated with Rome, is that the equivalent of a master's? Pretty close. It's a little bit more than a master's degree. It always has a thesis with it, so not all master's degrees have theses anymore. Um, it's a canonical degree. It's mainly the, the, the degree that allows you to be a seminary professor. Oh. So it's really an important thing for... As, as we we have a, an impact on a lot of the seminaries around the world because we prepare a lot of people for teaching oh, there. Oh, sure. Now, if, if they're going to be sort of permanent faculty, they usually remain for the doctorate as well. So the, the bac- baccalaureate in theology is a little bit more than a bachelor's degree because it presumes some kind of arts degree before you start, usually in philosophy. Um, the second cycle is the licentiate, and that's, like I say, more of a teaching degree. And then the doctorate is a, a research degree. Wonderful. Now, you have a lot of um, famous alumna here in a, we do. a pope or two. <laughs> yes. I, I was just writing a little bit uh, after the recent beatification of John Paul I. He's, he's the latest one. Um, Francis did not study here, um, nor did John Paul II. He's an alumnus of, of, of the Angelicum. Right. Um, and neither did uh, Benedict, but Benedict was a teacher here. He taught here. That's right. That's right. But you have quite a number of bishops and Correct. cardinals, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, mm-hmm. you know? Now, having been a member of the faculty and the academic vice rector, as we said, you already knew the university, its staff, its students, procedures, uh, statutes, etc. So you probably, when you came into this position, you probably had a list of priorities. Well, and, and maybe you could share those with us. So when I was academic vice rector, we were beginning the, the five, six-year process of, every five or six years we have a process of uh, visitation by AVEPRO, which is the Vatican Agency for um, Education Quality in the Pontifical Universities. So it's sort of like an accrediting agency, except they don't do the accreditation. That comes from the papacy. But they evaluate us and they, they make suggestions for quality. So that process was under me as vice rector for academic affairs the last two years. 
and then this year, my first year as rector, we finished the, the visit last spring and have the course of this year have been developing a strategic plan for the next five years. Wow. That has to be enormous in an institution of this, of this scope where you're not just the little local college. <laughs> someone, someone once said that um, big institutions, university institutions, are a little bit like big ships. Um, if you're going to turn, you have to think about it well in advance and make it a gradual thing. You can't just veer to the left or right in a second. So oh, it's, no. it takes a lot of well, sort of strategic planning. Well thought out, you know. Now, I'm familiar uh, with the Pontifical Biblical Institute and the Pontifical Oriental Institute. In fact, mm-hmm. I did interview um, Father David and Nassau there. Oh, uh, f- fascinating. The, the building, the history, everything's fascinating about the Orientali and their amazing library. Oh, my goodness. And I know a little bit less, but something about the Biblical Institute. And a priest friend of ours, by the way, in my parish in Rome is studying at the Orientali. Um, and I read that it was Pope Pius XI in 1928. He wanted to associate both of these institutes mm-hmm. with the Gregorian, and the three have yes. always worked together. But my understanding is you foresee uh, either a new or different relationship between the Greg, the Oriental, and the Biblica? So for many years, we've been a consortium, so there's, there's been levels of cooperation, which is sort of logical since they're all... Jesuit-run institutes uh, and the university. Pope Francis and Father General, about four or five years ago, asked us to consider basically an integration of the three, the two institutes into the Gregorian University. And so we've been working on that process since then, and we will become a single university institution somewhere in the future that will maintain the two missions of the Oriental and Biblical Institute, their research, the, everything that they have They'll maintain the name? No? They will be institutes within the Gregorian University. Okay. Okay. And they will be pontifical institutes within the Gregorian University. What but they will be under the administration of a single rector. Now, oh, okay. Wow, that's a big thing. Um, now, tell me, tell my listeners, the importance of being a pontifical University. Well, the, the main thing that means is that it's, it's either founded or requested patronage of the, of the Holy Father. So in all of the cases where it's a pontifical institution, the Holy Father confirms the choice of rector. Um, the Dicastery for Culture and Education has a clear interest in those, all of the pontifical institutions to maintain quality, um, to follow basically the guidelines set out in Veritatis Gaudium, the, the papal document that governs oh, pontifical sure. institutes. There are pontifical universities in other countries, the world, too. Yes. That, that title um, is assigned. Now, um, in studying your site, I realized that we're 18 months away from the 2025, the start of the 2025 Jubilee, um, Jubilee Holy Year, an ordinary Holy Year. And I read on your site that starting in the 2023-24 academic year, the Gregorian will be offering a new diploma in the history and art of Jubilees, a one-year course that will start, as I said, in that academic year at the Faculty of Hist- History and Cultural Heritage. Now, that sounds fascinating. Uh, how did is. one come up with that idea? So it, it, there are two, two basic things that, that led us to this. The first is that we already have the, the Department of Cultural Heritage of the Church that 
that really focuses on, especially on the patrimony here in Rome, but on, on church art, architecture, archives, libraries in general. So we have the faculty, we have the, the, the sort of disposition to do a course like this. And then the second thing is the upcoming Jubilee. And what the department really developed, I think, was a, a very good practical diploma for people who will be guides. So it's oh, primarily sure. aimed at people who are already guides in Rome, but to give them a more ecclesiastical f- focus. Um, somebody who shows people around the city of Rome has to know a lot of history, a lot of difference. This would be focusing on, on the church and also the role of the papacy in the Jubilees. So to understand a little bit why a Jubilee year is called. And then um, the other thing to really make note of here is that it's, it's also with the patronage of the Fabrica San Pietro, oh, the, the, the people who sort of maintain and care for the St. Peter's Basilica, and also um, the Vatican Dicastery for Evangelization of Peoples, because sure. the Jubilee is also a part, is a great opportunity to evangelize people would be coming and they're the Jubilee organizers, basically, for, the, for the Vatican. So in both cases, they, they were very interested in the program that we put together. So they, they, oh, they are, um, their seals are on our diploma, so that's oh, very important. wonderful. Well, I wrote a book for the um, Jubilee year 2000, then the Mercy year 2015-2016, mm-hmm. and the chapter that most interested me in researching was the chapter I did on the history of Jubilees. Part of the interesting thing is like finding out what buildings were built, or churches, or bridges. Or bridges. Yes, fascinating history. Mm-hmm. Who's going to be teaching that? Where so it's that? under the, the, the guidance of our, the director of our department, Ottavio Bucarelli, who is the director of the Department of the Cultural Heritage of the Church, and then the rest will be staff from our department. It will be pretty much exclusively in that, that department. So a year-long course is like an Several hours a week. Uh, it's going to be it's going to be aimed to be a little bit outside of the usual school hours to allow people who are working as guides to attend. Oh sure. Um, so there will be there will be things made. The the to my mind the more important thing is actually going on site and seeing places and talking about specific locations in Rome. Because so it be is important. a church event, so you have to. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, um, it's just you have to have the ecclesiastical side of it for sure and spiritual, etc. So, um, well, that's fascinating. I'm going to look forward to being one of the groups guided by the students. Well, that's all the time I have today with Father Mark Lewis. But come back next week for part two of our conversation when we talk about the university's decision to strengthen the formation of its students on the themes of safeguarding and care for human dignity through the establishment of a course whose attendance will be considered a necessary requirement for the completion of the baccalaureate, licentiate, and doctorate academic degrees. For more information on these stories, or to check out Joan's blog and to ask her a question, go to EWTN.com. That's EWTN.com. Thanks for listening to Vatican Insider on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.